guys. Welcome to RUF. My name is Sammy. I'm the campus minister here. And um, last week, if you're with us, we just did sort of an intro to RUF. Uh, what is RUF? And we basically said two things. RUF has a ministry, a campus ministry that has a heart for the gospel, um, which is different than good advice if you're, we're here, and has a heart for USC, has a heart for the campus. And uh, But the series, we're actually going to do two series, starting one tonight, and we're going to go through in our first series uh, up until spring break. And then after spring break, we're starting a second series. The first series, we're actually going to look at the life of Peter. Um, it's actually just kind of looking. It's a it's a really fun way for me to, to to talk about Jesus, but through the eyes of his one of his best friends, Peter, uh, by looking at the life of Peter. So we'll do that up until spring break, and then after spring break, we're actually going to do the book of Leviticus, which is going to be, I think, really real fun, real fun for all of us. Um, so that's the plan. But tonight, what I want to do is just kick us off in the life of Peter. And the story I want to read is just it's a short, brief passage from. John's Gospel about the first time Jesus and Peter meet. I'm going to read it for us. Um, It's the wrong verse in here. It's actually John chapter 1, not Luke 18. John chapter 1, and I'm reading verses 35 to 42. John 1, 35 to 42. The next day again, John was standing, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive into this first meeting between Jesus and Peter. Let's pray first. Jesus, we we thank you for the Gospels. We thank you that you have not left us to guess what you're like. You haven't left us um, to put together these pieces, these fragments, but you yourself have recorded these witnesses, these eyewitnesses like John, um, to tell us about you and to tell us, to chronicle for us, to show us, to, to paint for us the picture of your first meeting with your friend, who's still your friend, with you now, Peter. Uh, Lord, you first met him as Simon, and then through your work of grace in his life, you became Peter, the rock, and I pray, Lord, that that you would meet us in the same way. We thank you, Lord, that you tell us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that you are still meeting us. You are still meeting new friends and new disciples and changing, turning their lives upside down by your grace, even tonight. Would you meet us in that way? And if you've met us in that way, would you encourage us to live in this new life and this new identity that you've given us? And Lord, we pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So regardless of kind of where you fall in the spectrum politically, I assume there's a wide range in here. I think one of the sweetest things that's happened in the last couple of weeks, if you've watched it, is the way, just watching the friendship between President Obama and Joe Biden, maybe you're not huge fans, but can you at least give me that their friendship is really beautiful to watch? Uh, I mean, the memes are hilarious, right? Like the memes are really, really funny, and the Onion articles about Joe Biden are really, really funny. But did you watch? Have you did you see any clips when Obama surprised Joe Biden with the presidential um, 
Medal of Freedom, and Biden was crying, and Obama teared up. And I, part of what I think is so intriguing is we don't we don't see male friends love each other. Like part of us is blown by their the level of their friendship, and to hear them talk about it, it's really sweet. I heard Biden talking, I think, to Colbert about how surprised both of them were that even though they were going to be working together, president and vice president, that they genuinely became friends. And I don't know if you read Biden's words where he said, President Obama, if you ever need me, I will always be there for you. And I mean, it's just this really sweet thing. And what I love about it is it's rare for us to get to see a president through the eyes of a best friend and a vice president through the eyes of a best friend. And that's exactly what we get in getting to see Obama through Biden's eyes and Obama and Biden through Obama's eyes. And I think what I love and what I'm excited about in the life of Peter is this is exactly what we get. We get to see, we're going to talk a lot about Peter's, the life of Peter. So we're going to get to see Peter, who is like us, ordinary, called to follow Jesus, life turned up down, upside down by Jesus, but we get to see him through Jesus' eyes. But I think even sweeter than that, it's a chance for us to see Jesus through the eyes of, probably we could say, if not his earthly best friend, definitely one of his three best friends that he ever loved on this earth. So what I want to do tonight is just talk about this first encounter, and really it's a simple passage, right? I mean, all that really happens in this passage, we could talk a long time about how be- what a beautiful picture of evangelism it is when basically Andrew gets so excited that they found the Lamb of God, the Messiah, that all he simply does is brings his brother to meet him, right? Have you ever thought, like, that's what evangelism is, right? It's just bringing your friends to meet Jesus, whether it's here or whether it's a church you're involved in, whether it's a Bible study you're involved in. It's really as simple as that. You're excited for them to meet Jesus, this Jesus that you have met. We could talk a long time about that. What I want to, want to talk about is this exchange between Jesus and Peter, who, when Jesus meets him, is Simon, and he becomes Peter. And this weird exchange where Jesus actually gives him a new name, which is really, really significant. So what I want to talk about is the authority that Jesus has, that Jesus alone has the authority to, uh, the authority to give us a new name. Jesus alone has the power to give us a new name. And then lastly, Jesus alone has the grace to give us a new name. So first he's got alone, Jesus alone has the authority to give him a new name. This is the longest point, because I want to think, think with me for a second about what's in a name. So let's just do this like simple exercise. So let's, let me just say the following names. I don't want you to think what immediately comes to mind. Spurrier. Clowny. Yeah. Lattimore. Dabo, uh, Trump, Obama, Hillary, Bernie, Kanye, Beyonce, Prince, Nickelback. <laughs> Threw that one in there because it gives me hope that maybe somewhere in Canada there was a child born in the 90s whose name is Nickelback. <laughs> and how amazing would that be? But names mean something, right? And especially, like, maybe, you know, all of us here, maybe that's in your heart. You long for your name to mean something, to be known, to be remembered. Uh, for some of us, we, we long for that, for our names to matter, last or first. Uh, for some of us, names can be kind of a mark of shame. Maybe the family we come from we're a little bit embarrassed of. Or maybe we ourselves have done things that, you know, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you did this thing, where I've met freshmen who decided, you know, I knew this years ago, I knew this one incoming freshman who went by a certain name in high school but wanted to change his name in college because he wanted to leave his high school self behind. And that's a thing. Like We do that. We get embarrassed or ashamed of our name sometimes or really become to despise what our name represented about a time in our lives. And for some of us, uh, we literally feel like we outgrow the identity that our name 
used to represent. When I was in seminary, I worked at Starbucks for a couple years and, uh, as a barista. And uh, one of the best slash weirdest experiences was I worked with a coworker who um, was a, um, a, how to say it, a born female, but in transition to become male. And uh, I, would always, I did that thing where she would be, she would be working, just try with me here for a second, the bar. And I would, without thinking, because she was in transition, she had just started transition, so she still looked very female. I would say, she will take you at the register. And she confronted me and said, please don't refer to me as she, please refer to me as Chaz. And I regret it. Chaz was her chosen name, and I don't know. I, oh, we lost touch. I, don't, I haven't kept up with Chaz. But I, I really regret the moment to not honor that part of me treating her in the image of God is to treat her story, even if I disagree with her story, with respect. And I think sometimes that we do that, right, where we, we feel like we outgrow an identity, and so we want a new name. And then on the other hand, it's as simple as this. Think about when you're meeting a new friend. And I don't know if this happened. I mean, surely this has happened for you before. And they give you, like as a friend you're becoming friends with, and they give you a new nickname that just sticks. Like I remember being in college and meeting one of my best friends, my roommate, and he started calling me Sambone, which is, no one's ever called me Sambone before. But I like loved it because it was a sign of affection. You know, it meant something. It was like he knew me and wanted to be, you know, have affection for me. Names mean something. Now, this is like our day. Much like, like in Peter's time, Simon's time, names meant even more. Like when you read the Bible, names have significant meaning. Like you end up living into the meaning of your name. So what's interesting about Peter's name specifically is he was named Simon. And now Simon was an incredibly common name for boys in his day. There was nothing special about Simon or his name. And I think this is a really important point. That I want you to, one of the first things I want you to see is there's nothing super special about Simon. He's a fisherman with the most common name. Jesus meets him in Galilee by the Sea of Galilee. And do you see that that's how the Lord works? Sometimes when we look at the disciples, we think, and we still think Jesus works this way, that Jesus took these 12 incredibly gifted, talented men and then made them incredibly successful. And can I say to you, starting with Peter, Jesus takes the far opposite of that, these weak, sinful, flawed, ordinary men, and he makes them faithful. And it's exactly what he's up to, do, up to doing in, in, in Simon's life. But he's doing something incredibly powerful here and giving him a new name. In fact, it's go, he's hearkening back to what only God has done before in Scripture. When God, I don't know if you know the story, calls this man named Abram, and he calls him away from his family and his land, and he gives him a new name, Abraham. And in that new name is a new identity. In that new name is a new home. In that new name is a new future. In that new name is a new life. And Jesus, make no mistake about it, is saying, I have that authority. I'm the one who can take you, Simon, and give you this new name, this a new life, a new identity, a new, a new home, and a new future. Part of what I want you to see in this first point is that Jesus alone, because he made Peter, has the authority to remake Peter, even in the ways that he wants to be remade, and in ways that he has no idea he's about to be remade. And the same is true for you and I. This came home fresh to me last night. We had friends when I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, who were in our church. Were, he was an elder in our church, he and his wife. And they were really kind to us when I was in seminary there in Charlotte. They would often pay us just to go watch their teenage kids who didn't really need to be watched. And they were just really, really sweet to us. Well, she, just a, about two years ago, they found out she had really aggressive ovarian cancer. 
and they just, a couple of days ago, moved her from the hospital. They decided she's to the point of death where no more chemo. They have hospice. They've gone. She's at home now, and any day now she's going to die. And her husband, Ken, her name is Ruth Samuelson, her husband, Ken, wrote this incredibly moving piece, just thinking about the, have you ever thought that, we talk all the time about accepting Jesus as your Savior, but have you ever thought that part of what it means to belong to him is to accept him first as your maker? That you genuinely, truly belong to him and him alone, and he alone has the authority to give you a new name and a new identity. But here's what he wrote about his wife that really struck me. He said this. He said, it's at moments like this that theology really matters. In that vein, it helps me to remind myself of a few important truths. First and foremost, I need to remind myself that God made Ruth. God in his providential goodness introduced us to each other in 1979, and I've had the joy and privilege of being her earthly husband since 1981. Ruth does not belong to me. She belongs to God. She has been on loan to me for these 35 years. My job has been clear, to be her earthly protector, provider, friend, and husband. It has been my joy and privilege to fulfill that role. I am Ruth's temporary earthly husband, but God is her permanent heavenly father. When my job comes to an end, it will be my joy and privilege to hand her back to her heavenly father, the Lord himself. He loves her more than I do, if that's even possible. He is her creator, protector, provider, friend, and redeemer. He has prepared a place for her. And if it was not true, I love this line, if it was not true, he would not have told us so. And like I'm reading that crying because of this man, he gets something so profound that this wife that he loves first belongs to the Lord. Have you ever accepted Jesus as your maker? That he alone can remake you in all the ways you long to be remade. He alone can change your name from addicted to set free. He alone can change your name from lonely and alone to known and loved. He alone can change your name from selfish, so selfish, to sacrificially selfless. He alone has the power, has the authority to change your name first. But then second, he alone has the power to give us new names. He alone has the power to actually bring about the reality of this new identity that he's given us. I really want you to see this point. It's really profound. So part of what I love about this passage is what in the world does Peter's name mean? You know, literally Cephas is in Aramaic and then Petros in the Greek. It just simply means rock or one translator calls him Rocky, which is just interesting. Um, but there's something profound and he says, you shall be called. Simon, you are Simon, but you shall be called. Peter. And it's interesting, Jesus actually never calls him Simon Peter in the rest of Jesus' life. He becomes Simon Peter after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, and, and is, preaches that incredible sermon in Acts and really becomes this incredible man. But I love the idea, you shall be called. In the same way that Jesus at this point is just Jesus, and he's not yet been called the Christ, in the same way Simon at this point is just Simon, and he will be called Peter but it's only because Jesus is going to be faithfully bringing it about by his power in his life. Um, here's what's amazing about this. is Jesus not only gives him a new name, but he actually gives him the promise of the power to bring that new name into a reality. He doesn't just give him this new identity. He doesn't just give him this new home and future, this new even mission. He has the power to make, to make Simon Peter. And this is what he does in his life. And this is comforting, I think, in two ways. First, 
The first thing that I think is really comforting to me about this, I hope it's comforting to you, is that Jesus knows our stories. Like, Jesus knew Peter from before Peter ever even heard of Jesus. And, and Jesus knows Peter, what Peter every, every moment of triumph and every moment of failure that's going to happen in Peter's life. Jesus knows every, your story from beginning to end. He knows that the moments where Peter is going to be so beautifully confessing that Jesus is the Christ, and he knows in the next moment, the interesting thing about this passage is the same word where it uses that says that Jesus looks at Peter it's the same word that Jesus is going to be used when Jesus looks at Peter from across the way when Peter denies him three times. Jesus knows your story from beginning to end, all the beautiful confessions and the terrible failures and betrayals. Uh, but the second, I think, great comfort is that he has this power to make our new names a reality, that he doesn't just give us a new name and leave us there. Sometimes I think we think the good news, and we say this a lot in our life, and it's true that the good news of the gospel is that God loves you as you are. That's a radical truth. Like, he really does. Part of what's so radical, we talked about this last week, about, about the gospel is not, it's the answer, the message of RUF and the message of Christianity is never reform yourself and then come to God and let him love you. It's always God loves you in the, in the darkness and the mess of where you are and the brokenness of who you are, and his love is going to make you lovely. It's not your loveliness that causes him to love you. It's his love that's going to make you lovely. So the good news is not just that he accepts you where you are, that there's more good news, that he promises not to leave you where you are. And there's even more good news that he himself promises to take you there. Then in every step of, of beautiful triumph and terrible failure and betrayal, that Jesus is with you every step of the way. Um, I don't know if you saw this story. This is like, I think, four years ago. It's the most moving parent story I've ever read, where this dad, his name is Brian Manning, and his daughter, Brenna, was graduating. In her graduation gift, he gave her uh, just a normal graduation gift. Some of you probably got it. A Dr. Seuss, Oh, the Places You'll Go. So she got the gift. She was like, oh, Dad, thanks. I love this book. You know, thank you so much. And he's like, no, no, open the book. And she opens the book, and his, her dad, for the last 13 years, every year had taken the book to her teachers and gotten her teachers, her coaches, anyone involved in her life to write something about her, what she was like, what they loved about her. So she opens this book, and you literally you can see she posted it on Reddit, and it kind of got went viral. But you can see all these just like not just like little vague notes, like deep paragraphs of what they love about Brenna, like her kindergarten teacher, her first grade teacher, her own and own until she graduates. So Brenna, the picture you can see, she's been crying, weeping her eyes out, because what kind of a dad loves us like that? Is there anyone or lo- is there anyone in your life that loves you that intentionally, that is trying to say? Every step of the way in your story, I'm with you. Her dad had this really sweet words. He was asked about it. He said, I was really surprised that she shared it. But he's like, I love her so much. And this book was just a picture of my delight in her. And part of what Jesus is doing with Peter is he's saying to Peter, Peter, Simon, you don't even know it yet. But because of my love with you at every step of your way, you really are going to become Peter, the rock again doesn't work not you know not the rock that we know which would be terrible but something of profound stability and lastingness and strength but it's even more than that jesus doesn't just say i'm going to be with you every step of the way but he says i'm going to take you there i have the power to make make your new name a reality but then it gets better the last point 
is this also, Jesus also has the grace to give him a new name. Um, why does Jesus name him Peter? And this is where a comment, you know, there are a lot of people that read this and think, oh, well, Jesus was drawn to him because he's this natural leader. That Peter has this in him and Jesus is just bringing it about. No. Like, if you read the rest of the Gospels, you, I mean, if you've ever read any of the Gospels, you know Peter is first and foremost this impulsive, loudmouth, arrogant, just idiot at times, totally afraid of what people think of him, totally, at the, you know, says, Jesus, I will never betray you. And then the next moment, just totally, he's like, I don't even know this guy, Jesus. He's just, he's a, he's a mess up. And what's interesting is Jesus says, this is not who you naturally are. You're not naturally this rock. You're actually naturally, in the words of Michael Card, this fragile stone. But my love for you and my grace for you is to meet you in this place and, and take you, to change you into this man who was so trusting and resting in me as the rock of ages, who was so trusting and resting in me as the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who was so trusting and resting in me, who is unchangeable and unchanging in my love, who is the only safe hiding place, because you rest and trust in me, therefore your name is going to become Peter. Your name is going to uh, become the rock. Um, I'll close with this. There's a story out of Augustine's life that I love. If you know the story at all, St. Augustine, he, as a young man, was incredibly lustful, was incredibly promiscuous, just really couldn't get it together. And you remember he was famous for praying that prayer, Lord, give me, you know, make me chase, but not yet, not yet. And as the Lord was at work in his life, changed his life through this particular bishop that his mom was close to, really got a hold of him, began to give him this new identity and this new name. There was a moment that happened after, the, after he had come to know Jesus, after he had been changed, where he was walking in the streets in Rome. We don't, I mean, I, this, is, this is an alleged story, but it's a beautiful one. He's walking in the streets of Rome, and he comes across one of his former lovers. And she immediately recognizes him, and she comes up to him, and she says, Augustine, it is I. And he, I mean, she's saying, like, hey, let's do that thing that we used to do. And in this beautiful response, he says, yes, but it is not I. And in that moment, he's saying, same, same name, and yet new name same name and yet he's met Jesus and because of that been given a new name and a new identity that the Lord begins to bring about as a reality in his life. Here's the question for you here's the question for me. Where are you, number one, have you been given that new name? Have you met Jesus in this way where he can say I know your story, I know everything about you and I love you and I'm here to change you and all the ways you long to be changed. Have you, have you been given a new name? And then second, if you have, are you living in that new name? Are you living in the reality? Are you living in step with this new name of freedom and this new name of love that you've been given? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, I pray that you would take um, this sermon, take these, this series, and would you make it impactful to us in all the ways that we need it to be? Would you remind us of the ways that you're different, so different in, um, from what we imagine you often to be, from what we often think you are. Would you challenge us uh, that your work in our lives is sometimes not what we expect or want? And would you just be with us? Would you bear with us? 
Would you continue to minister to us through your spirit and through our friendship? We pray these things. We're Christ in your name. Amen. Would you all stand and sing our last hymn with us?